Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today is our conclusion to the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer saga. Yes, chapters 50 through 85, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The number of chapters is discerning, but it's actually a very short book. (laughs) Yeah, well, this section in particular is like, she barely even writes towards the end. It's just a lot of little tiny entries. Yeah. But we are not alone. Again, we have (laughs) our very special guest, Chelsea Arnold. Welcome back. Welcome. Hello. Checking in from beautiful Tennessee. (laughs) But for reals, guys, we have an ice storm warning tonight. So Jealous. No, because then we're going to cancel <laughs> school, and then I'm going to be stuck with these kids, and it's not even going to oh, have, like, right. done one thing, and I'm just going to be like, <laughs> okay, here we are. It's no fun I thought when you they stopped kids. doing snow and ice days now that everyone did Zoom. Yeah, but here's the thing. If there's a snow day, even the Zoom people don't have to Zoom. <gasps> uh, right? Is it because wow. it's That's likely cool. to knock down the internet? Well, it's just because it's not really fair if the kids that can't be busted to school, don't have to do anything, and then the kids that Zoom do, like, it's not fair. So they just cancel everybody. That's true. All right. But, yeah, we're covering the third section of Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Before we started, I did want to ask you, Christian, because mm-hmm. in our first episode, you were talking about how you had your own ideas of how things might have been going, or I, I thought maybe you might have an idea of who you thought might be the murderer, and I didn't know if you wanted to speculate on that, or if there was, or, you know, I feel like maybe you were leaving something to talk about today, and I <laughs> just wanted yeah. to put it, because we have a tendency to be like, we'll talk about that later, and then never mention it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, I meant to actually ask you, um, we didn't do it in our last episode, but we did in the first one. Should we? Are you just gonna kind of like copy and paste like a trigger warning over each episode? Like, do we? Do you think we um, need to? Or I didn't really. I figured if you you wouldn't really start to... in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> so... you wouldn't think. You're right. Okay, never mind. But just we can do it again. But definitely do that. Definitely add that in yeah. for sure. Yeah, because you know oh, people. So the second and third episodes. You want me yeah, to? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> just in case. Because uh, can, you yeah, just never know. One of Keith's family members might be like, I'll just jump on. I don't know what this is about, but let's see what Chelsea <laughs> has to say. <laughs> All right, well, I'll then do that like... now if you've been listening so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if you're new, if this is like for some reason you're starting with the third part of The Secret Diary and you haven't read the book before, then I will say... Just know that this book deals with a lot of very sensitive and disturbing topics that could definitely be triggering to people who have maybe gone through something. Although a lot of people find it empowering, the book itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a trigger warning for, you know, drug abuse, heavy drug abuse. Lots of, how would you word it? Just sexual acts. With an, uh, with a minor. Sexual content in yes. heavy, heavy amount sexual of sexual content. <laughs> yes. Heavy amount regards, of drug use. Yeah, in regards to, and it's all in, with a minor and, you know, lots of fucked up stuff. So if that bothers you, just know what you're getting into. But if you read the book, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. 
Exactly. Yeah, if you're familiar with Twin Peaks, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, back to our little discussion of maybe my theories or any quote-unquote conspiracies I have regarding Twin Peaks. So after and during reading this book, I just kind of had these like newer ideas of the show and like what we're seeing and just different aspects of it. And I mean, it's probably been talked about because I'm sure there are hundreds of theories and, you know, speculations of what's going on. But I just, after reading this, came under the impression that Bob is a manifestation from Laura uh, maybe a manifestation of some trauma that maybe someone who looks like Bob did to her or like it's uh-huh. just someone that she associates with that trauma um, but it's like a, maybe a manifestation of a darker side of her life or, or of herself uh, maybe you know loosely speaking a quote-unquote mental illness um, and shame and it's just this manifestation that happens and comes and torments her whenever she is you know when she's growing up and it's just it reminded me so much of you know as I would say as teenagers a lot of the time that people will have a lot of shame about sexuality and about growing up and feeling certain things and Bob is like this embracement of it in a really sick and dark way and it's maybe easier for Laura to separate herself from it and paint it as this like, you know, demonic evil person when in actuality it might be just the part of herself who wants to fully commit to the stuff, but Uh she can't because she views it herself as evil and twisted. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that that is, I think a lot of people would agree with that being the Mm -hmm. reading of I like exactly what's going on. It's hard because Twin Peaks is so, non-specific in what it's really about it never tells you what it's about and there are like so many different ways to interpret it but i think it's pretty clear from reading this that bob is in some way laura's invention at least in the terms of this book i mean not that she's not been tormented by bob quote unquote but like he is almost like a screen that she Mm -hmm. puts over like her herself yeah of the true of what's really going on it's like something she built to protect herself in a way Mm -hmm. and it's like taking he's his embodiment is taking over now a lot of people would think bob definitely a real like because there's like a whole metaphysical layer of twin peaks so like right is he a real entity, evil entity, or is he just psychological? And I think that's really the biggest question of Twin Peaks. Like, when it comes down to it, is the show about psychological things or is it about metaphysical things? <laughs> and right. I think it's both in a way. So, yeah. It's almost I, like um, someone's psychology can manifest itself within yeah. the town of Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I. And I just, I, I lead a little bit more towards the psychological element. Um, but like, even after watching the first season of the show, it almost to me feels in a way that Laura's psychological, you know, just experience her, her whole life, and all the trauma with it is so 
evil in itself and it's so dark and all-consuming that the way that Cooper is trying to figure out what happens to her, it's kind of like he's almost giving in to her darkness to kind of see what really happened, not only to her, but like after her death, but like previously what led up to it. And it almost just feels like his embracement of this like supernatural element of uh, Twin Peaks is maybe him giving in to Laura's, I don't know, just like her, like I said, all consuming psychological journey in a way. Yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely excited to, I mean, gosh, by the time we get to season three, there'll be so much to say on this topic, but like, <laughs> oh, um, there's like so bit. much, even through season two, because I remember the first time I watched the series, I was like pretty on the metaphysical bent, like, and then it wasn't until Fire Walk With Me that I kind of got into the psychological aspects of the show. Right. And honestly, I think that it really is both. I don't know if it's saying like Twin Peaks is a special place because what you think can become a reality or if it's saying every place in the world deals with the same psychology and we're just putting a face on it for this show. You know, there's just like so many ways to interpret it. So, but I do, yeah, that's very, um, I think you're right on for sure. Yeah, I just, I, I, reading it, I keep being brought back to these little moments in the show, like where Laura's mom kind of like sees Bob for the first time. And she's screaming. And it, to me, in a way, it almost translated as in her grief, she's kind of acknowledging the real Laura in a way of mm-hmm. like, or what, like the the reality uh, around surrounding Laura and her not really being involved in Laura as much as she maybe wanted to in retrospect. Yeah. And just yeah. that acknowledgement of that grief and the yeah. twistedness of Laura. And so it's just like these like weird little moments where it's like wrapped up in these like, supernatural kind of elements and maybe it's like the whole idea of like manifesting something until it becomes a reality like or you know it being so prevalent in your mind and i mean i feel like that's kind of the reading i got from like uh, a racer head you know like Mm -hmm. you manifest your own reality in a certain way Mm -hmm. like through your psychology but like how far does it go does it like really create it or does it just like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's very cool. So, but you didn't like come away thinking, I think it's this person who did it. Cause I really felt like the book did not, I know no. Jennifer Lynch has said, Oh yeah, you can tell. And maybe if I'm really, I mean, I know who the killer is obviously. And I was like, I right. don't think that it sets it up very much at all. But now, um, I, I, as someone who would, will 100% agree with you on that. There's no way you could tell from this book who the killer is at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um I have maybe like my guesses just based on like that and just kind of like what we've kind of gathered from the show and just like cuz I don't think it's like Leo or Bobby it doesn't seem like that fits with what Twin Peaks wants you to think and is the narrative they're kind of giving you. So my guess at this point it's that it's her dad. That's my guess. Oh, I mean, I would say that I think they are setting up Leo in the show to possibly because he's like one of the biggest bads in the show, I feel like. Yeah, well, it's like I feel like for me, Leo is too easy of a target, like the, you know, the the big drug trader and he's already super violent, but he doesn't seem to me as invested because Laura's murder to me seems like 
someone who is like maybe emotionally attached to her because it seems so personal in a way um yeah. and so leo to me just seems so in, even even with the stories in the book he's not really attached to laura it's kind of like a very superficial sexual attachment right and why would he want something that it works so perfectly for him in his life to to why would he yeah, take the, her this out book really kind of makes you feel like it's not Leo. Although I feel like the right. series at this time did still feel like it was could be Leo. Yeah. So let's not speculate on that any further though yeah. because we well, still got guess. some time to speculate. <laughs> that's my guess. For right now, it's my guess. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the notes then. So for our final episode, I thought we should do some notes on Cherilee, since perfect. she gave us this perfect audiobook performance, and she's such an iconic character in this whole universe. So she was um, born April 22nd, 1967, in Augsburg, Bavaria. These April West... babies. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. Isn't that so weird? They're... Her and Jennifer are less than a year apart. Isn't that so weird? That's crazy. Yeah. They're so close in age. Um, but she was born in Augsburg, Bavaria in West Germany, which I thought was really interesting. What? Um, How did I not know that? That's weird that yeah. I didn't know that. And then she, she did most of her growing up in uh, Boulder, Colorado. So oh. I guess, I don't know if they were military and they just, or maybe the, her parents are, well, maybe have like a lineage there and they just came over, but... She's a European baby. I can see her being German. Yeah. With that blonde hair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say she definitely fits the bill. Definitely. <laughs> but she did, she show, She had like a very early interest in acting and went to like an arts academy and did a lot of, um, ended up in Seattle and doing like a lot of like local theater and stuff. And I remember reading that David when they were trying to cast Laura, was looking just for, like, a local Seattle girl because it was just going to be playing a dead body, essentially. <laughs> right. And that he had met with Cheryl and that he wanted her to audition. And so she did and that she was so captivating. And they decided to add those, like, scenes where it's, like, a flashback to um, her at the picnic with Donna and James and, like, in the, par- right. in the park and that she was so just captivating and so just i don't know like it just really blew him away her whole talent and that he ended up casting her as maddie and writing all these scenes in <laughs> and so yeah. i thought that was really cool that immediately her talent just like drew him in yeah definitely i mean if you can capture somebody by just being dead then there is clearly yes. a star quality within you <laughs> yeah because yeah. i think he even made a comment about how just that scene of her lying dead in the plastic was so just like it just sparked something in him he was like something is special yeah yeah definitely yeah and then uh, apparently laura was her first television role i guess Mm -hmm. laura slash maddie i thought that was really interesting that she got picked up in such a big project for her first television role yeah and it's really the role that post has i guess probably defined her career yeah, they they were saying that the the image of her in the plastic and then the prom queen photo is the, like one uh-huh. of the most iconic images from Twin Peaks and like the most widely known. And yeah, she did all that before she was even really cast on the show. More so, it was like really interesting. 
crazy. Nothing like a pretty yeah. face. <laughs> yeah. But she has a pretty, pretty great filmography. I didn't even realize that she was in Winter's Bone. Oh, that I've never seen she, that. No, it's I saw it a long time ago when it first came out. But she's in that. She's in uh she was in twelve episodes of Dirty Sexy Money. I think she was on Desperate Housewives and One Tree Hill for a while. So she's done okay. a lot of stuff that I didn't and I watched all the stuff and didn't even realize that she was in it <laughs> until now, which I thought was really cool. I feel like I've mainly seen her in I saw that backbeat movie she did about the Beatles mm-hmm. and there was some movie she did, I think with Anthony Michael Hall, where I think the kids chained them up in the basement or something. Oh my god. <laughs> or like to like make their parents get together. I don't know. It was some sort of weird, wacky comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the adults getting locked in the basement. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a little Twin Peaks-ish, so maybe she was really drawn to it. But yeah, she, and then she's had kind of like a longer history in film and just doing like these little television spots and a couple movies, but now she teaches at the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Um, wow. And her and Gary Hirschberger, who plays, um, oh my God, what's his name? Mike. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's not Matt. Um, they teach a workshop together called the Actors Director Workshop. Oh, That's awesome. So they, they work so together cool. still. To How do day. I get Isn't to be in cool? her class? <laughs> I want to join that university. I know. I was just thinking the lucky kids who get to take acting lessons from her. I know. <laughs> it's I know. just like, it's like... Oh, I was going to say, Go I don't... I had a friend in college, Marnie, who um, had her, one of her teachers was Anne Ranking. Like, how incredible do you think that would have been as a teacher, like a theater teacher? Come on. Like, that's amazing. Seriously. It's like that, those moments in like, those uh, like movies or TV shows where they walk in and it's like, everyone's scared (laughs) too, (laughs) because they're like, oh my God, that person, that actor. So intimidating. (laughs) Seriously, it'd be like a moment of a lifetime. <laughs> okay, so we start December twenty third, nineteen eighty seven. I think Laura's still sixteen. I think so. Or is she 17? What is this? What, I don't know. What's the date? December 23rd, 1987. Does she go through a whole nother year cycle? Because she dies when she's seven. No. I think this is still 16. Okay. Yeah, I think. So Laura had a dream about the incident at Lowtown, um, you know, where she stole the cocaine. She's thinking about how Bobby probably killed that guy he shot. And so she calls him to talk about it. And while they're talking, he starts to cry. And they both kind of really realize what he did or what they did. Uh, She is beginning to know that she's in over her head with the cocaine, but she just can't stop. And in the dream, the guy that Bobby shot stood up. He said he had 60 seconds to tell them their future. He told Bobby to watch himself because people who died that way memorized the face of their killer and tell death about the face. Death takes what you have allowed it to. 
and murder is a way of telling death what is mine is yours so that's bad news for bobby um (laughs) (laughs) and he also says to laura that someone down there is saving her a seat laura says that she bought bobby a pair of boots for christmas and she hopes her dream is just a nightmare memory and she hopes that the dead man is somewhere nice (laughs) (laughs) and also she got donna's denim jacket and decorated it for her for her christmas present she wants to give her something that will make her stop worrying about her because it only causes trouble. <laughs> it's she like straight those... up bedazzles it too. She yeah. does. <laughs> it's like one of those things where you like read it initially, you're like, oh, this is so sweet, like for her friend that she's doing this thing. And then you're like, oh, so it's so she would stop questioning her. <laughs> yeah. But it's a very 1987 thing to do. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay, so okay. Then we have an f- entry at 4.20 a.m. that night. She's just finished the jacket. Um, she's thinking about finding Leo or Jacques, but she decides to call first and is glad she didn't walk over there first because Shelly is back from the funeral and she did not get the inheritance Leo was hoping she would. Uh, but Jacques tells her that he hid some coke in her bra for her. <laughs> and she says she's lucky that her mom didn't find it. She did get cocaine for Christmas. Um, Aww. <laughs> yeah, she's lucky her mom didn't find it because the wrapper is a page from Flesh World. And inside of it were joints, Valium, cocaine, and a silver wand, which I assume is for the cocaine. And it was the Flesh World's wrapping that she was worried her mom would be upset about. Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> hmm. She probably wouldn't Priorities. know what the rest of the stuff was. <laughs> Except for the Valium, maybe. Um, (laughs) Her mom actually comes in to check on her, and she plays asleep. Mm. And she's like, I was brilliant in the role of innocent sleeping daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Feels very Jane Austen. Yeah. That particular (laughs) entry. (laughs) Okay, so then she goes, after she does the drugs that she just got, she goes into like this deep, drugged, happy, thoughtful, innocent fantasy and she's on a lot of the drugs she found in her bra. And she says she feels perfect. She promises to tell the diary her fantasy later. So the next day, she goes out to the gazebo, presumably to tell the diary of her fantasy, but also because she's sick of Christmas carols. And this is where her dad wants to dance with her. They, he says that they haven't danced together since she was a little girl. And her mom is baking and her dad starts to cry and holds her tight like he's afraid of something. And she feels like she lives in two different worlds and she hopes she doesn't have to give one up because they both make her happy in their own way. And she says she's come out to, she came out to write about the fantasy, but it's too cold. So she goes to the double R. Time to hang out and have some pie. And write Mm. some more entries in my diary. (laughs) So at the double R, Norma is there. She pours her a cup of coffee. She, uh, Laura goes back to the back booth to write in her diary. And she notices an an elderly woman um, who's reading The Shroud of Innocence. (laughs) I don't know if that's a real book, but it's definitely symbolic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Shelly comes in. Laura thinks she's pretty and she watches her. Because she feels kind of competitive with her. But she also thinks that Shelly is so pretty that she doesn't really have a chance with Leo, of all people. Okay. (laughs) 
Shelly is complaining to Norma that Leo's never home and he only ever wants to have sex. And Laura feels a little bit triumphant. I'm like, and, but she also feels bad for feeling triumphant. <laughs> um, she can't feel sorry for her because she, she wouldn't be able to see Leo again if she felt sorry for Shelly. And yeah, then Norma comes over and she explains that the old woman who she had seen has a lot of trouble with mobility. And she's like, there's a lot of senior citizens here in Twin Peaks with no one to take care of them, which also interesting. And, but it gives Laura an idea. <laughs> and then at the end, she writes a PS. She heard about Norma's upsetting phone call and that her husband, Hank, killed a man on the highway and is going to jail for a vehicular manslaughter. And Laura says she's glad he'll go away for a while because she knows that he upsets Norma. Has Hank been on season one yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has been? Okay. With yeah, his domino. With his disgusting domino. <laughs> but oh, but we don't really know much about like him and his story, right? Like what has... what? Uh, we know he's pretty about. shady and that he's like kind of got something with Leo and yeah. also Josie, right? We've already found that out. Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's later, but there is a line that Laura has about Hank <laughs> that made me laugh. And you'll probably read it because it was funny, but just how... Oh, well, I don't know if Hank shows up again. That might have been where it was. Oh, it was just some line about how she was like, I just, how unimpressive she thinks he is. <laughs> and she's oh, just yeah. like, oh, like, okay. Yeah, that was probably <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> okay, so then we move to January. Laura says Christmas was interesting. It was hard for Laura to be alone to get high. Um uh, her dad is sad that she wants to be alone, and her mom is like, it's because she's a teenager. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but Bobby and her hung out on the golf course for three hours on New Year's from 8.30 to 11.30. Jeez. <laughs> so she could be home before midnight. <laughs> While they're there, they are listening to couples make New Year's resolutions, and Bobby says he's sorry that things are the way they are sometimes. And he feels like he and Laura are close and she encourages him. But other times he doesn't know what is what. Things don't affect him like they should. It's probably all the cocaine. <laughs> he doesn't want them to be together just because of the drugs, because they have that whole arrangement thing. And right. he's afraid that if she was given a choice, she would choose Coke. And she admits, Sometimes she would, but sometimes she would choose it over anyone. <laughs> She's an addict. So. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to hurt you, but she likes drugs because she doesn't have to think. And she's, she admits to him that there's something that's very wrong, but she can't tell him or anyone about that. And Bobby is like, oh, I've got problems too, so I'll try to understand your problems. <laughs> And then they make <laughs> real love with no games or control or bad thoughts. And it was amazing. And she says she knew she loved him and is afraid to feel any of those feelings without getting into trouble. I do like that we now finally, like, Laura really did love Bobby. Like, deep yeah. down, that 12-year-old that she's hiding it with inside really connected with him and loved him. I think more than she might have loved anybody besides Donna. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we just judge by what the diary tells us, because 
she doesn't talk about James at all in the diary, so who knows how she really felt about him. Uh, Bob does kind of make an appearance in the scene and says he's checking in. And she says she's to the point where she doesn't really care what he wants anymore. And she's still telling the diary, I'm determined to control this. And Bob is still talking through the diary. He tells her to be nice. And he, she wants him out of her head. And Bob has a message from a dead man. A seat is being saved for you, Laura Palmer. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Not that she hasn't heard that one before. Come on, Bob. I've heard that one before. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, a couple days later, we have a poem. We haven't had one of those in a while. (laughs) In the eyes of the visitor, she's constant prey. No creature with any respect for itself stands again and again in the enemy's path. She waits without choice. She challenges his threat to take this baby and hand it to death. But I don't think she's pregnant. (laughs) But I don't know what the poem is about. I mean... Well, let's see. That was 1788. Seven weeks? No. No, no, no. Okay. Well, (laughs) again, I've always equated, you know, she has this like sweet, innocent child that she has been protecting inside of herself for this whole time. That's true. And I, I will get into this later with our spoiler episode with angels and Laura and the 12-year-old inside of her and her death and Red Room and blah dee blah dee blah But <laughs> when we get to that, <laughs> I'll get to it. But I'm just saying. Go ahead. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're planning on doing a, um, a discussion after we're done without Christian, unfortunately, because we just <laughs> want to talk about how this fits in with the greater Twin Peaks universe. And we don't want to spoil anything for Christian. Okay. So the end of January, she spent, Laura spent the day with Johnny. They went out onto the great lawn. And yesterday, for the second time ever, she skipped school. She like rearranged all her furniture and bought a lock for her bedroom door. And then she went through some flesh worlds and decided to submit her fantasy. So she's getting a P.O. box so that she can be anonymous. She tells Johnny some stories because he just wants to feel included. He wants to be spoken to instead of spoken about. And so she just tells him some of her happiest and saddest stories. Obviously not the full stories. Right. I think she kept them, you know, on PC or... <laughs> Relatively clean. Uh, Yeah, but she's just, she's actually really happy to be able to talk to someone without feeling any sort of judgment from them. And she says that he's the best listener. And when Johnny, Johnny, you know, we've already established he barely ever speaks, but he speaks to her and he says, I love you, Laura. And she says she could go on and on about how wonderful it was. So I just thought it was really sweet. (laughs) Yes, it was incredible. That's probably what I mean. Honestly, that's probably one of my favorite moments in Mm -hmm. this book (laughs) but right after that she goes to get her p.o box (laughs) (laughs) okay so the next chapter (laughs) february 1st uh laura is going over her sexual experiences and wants to give them all initials so that she can write about them and there are several and some have the same initials and honestly i don't know it's like 
Bob, Bobby, Leo Johnson. But after that, I can't tell what any of them are. I don't even see Jacques Renault on here, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, um, when she was reading them all, it kept going on. I kind of like spaced out because I was like, oh God, there's so many of them. I know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, because this is even before she starts working at One Eye Jacks, right? So. Yeah. Okay. So a, a couple days later, Laura sneaks out to see Leo and Jacques. Oh, okay. This <laughs> okay. Rana is supposed to be there, and she's like excited to see her. So Laura decides to hitch a ride on a big rig, and inside there are four very drunk truckers, and they do not drop her off where she wants to go. They take her to a shabby motel room, number two hundred seven. I don't know if that's significant, but you know, there's a lot of significant numbers in Twin Peaks. So, <laughs> um, all the guys are like screaming and rowdy and she's, she says that this is the scared, most scared she's ever been in her life. Even Bob, like this is the most scared because these guys are like huge and super fucked up and don't care about her at all. And, and uh, she's so pretty anyway, she sure they're going to kill her. Oh yeah. yeah. She's pretty convinced. Uh, so she knows she has to manipulate this situation in some way or she's going to die. So she gets them to listen to her. They're still threatening her, but she's like very complimentary with them. Although she's telling us that she thinks they're awful. She tells them what she's not opposed to. And she says that she'll put on a private show, uh, but no violence. So one of them does not agree. And she says, if you get the urge to slap me, I haven't done my job. And so eventually she gives them each a Valium and starts her show. So, oh yeah, this is where she's like, I've never been more frightened ever. Did she have all these Valiums on her or was she like, hey, of course. what kind of drugs you guys got? Let's pass them around. No, I'm sure she had <laughs> a whole bottle of Valium on her. <laughs> <laughs> where she had the kilo. Yeah. <laughs> she forces herself to relax and she takes off her clothes. She goes to the meanest looking of the bunch and starts her like mommy routine on him and it starts to work. And she has to basically go around and lie admiringly to each of them. And she was really hoping they would pass out, but it takes them a really long time and she's trying to like emotionally exhaust them. And finally, they all except for one passes out. And he's like, let's go to the other room. And she's like, no, let's go to the truck. So they go to the truck and she finds a bottle and smashes him over the head. <laughs> and then she runs half naked to Jacques' cabin where she collapses crying. And Ronette helps comfort her and they all get the blood off of her. And when she wakes up, she's back at home with a note that they have all left for her. And it says that she was hysterical and saying she wanted to go home. So they snuck her in, they think without anyone noticing. And they're like, if you get caught, just tell them what happened. And now it's the next morning and she can't stop thinking about the whole situation and how she could have done things differently. And she's like, sometimes I wanna go back and find them. And she's like, well, my thoughts are all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, this is, that was one of several times when she said that, that I was like, this girl needs some serious psychological help. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if she wants to go back 
to do it again or if she wants to go back to do it right this time, you know, like. <laughs> to like, per- like quote, you know how you replay things it. in your head. Yeah. Yeah. So beginning of March, um, she spent the day with Donna. They have nothing to say to each other anymore, <laughs> basically. Donna admits to her that Mike and her are planning to have sex and Laura just seems tired by it. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, <laughs> like Donna, a- please. <laughs> She's like, oh, are you? <laughs> you're finally deciding that's what you're gonna you're gonna join onto that plane <laughs> <laughs> what i should have said during the last bit was that with leo and jacques and ronette helping her back to her house i mean that's just like proof she said these people would help me if anything happened to me and and they yes. they, they did they literally did that's true they snuck her in they didn't just abandon her so like you know they they wanted they didn't they had all intentions to help her and protect her because you know they were they had this thing going this four-way awesome shit going on like (laughs) awesome why would you want that to end like protect your girl so yeah yeah i was thinking about that when we were talking about that earlier so yeah this is still march now she's thinking about bobby she hasn't spoken, or he hasn't spoken to her since she told him what happened with the truckers. Oh, and then Ben Horn calls her because Troy was found with a broken leg by the tracks. Yikes. And he was very malnourished, and Ben watched the border police shoot him, and he promises to find the person who let him out and let him know that they had killed a beautiful young horse. And Laura... It's just like, I'm an evil, wrong, bad person, and she can't believe what's happening to her in her life, and she dreams of dying right this very minute. And I think back to when she was like, I wonder if I'll cry forever when he dies. Well. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> um, so wait, what month are we in here? This is March 10th, 1988. So she let him out in June. And now it's March, the following. So what is that? So that's like nine months later. Yeah. That this horse has just been wandering around <laughs> Twin Peaks. Ah, oh, poor Troy. It wasn't really a Trojan horse. <laughs> Why you don't let innocent young horses out of their stalls. <laughs> Lesson uh, learned. That's why you probably shouldn't let cocaine-addled very disturbed young women <laughs> in charge of a horse. <laughs> this is why not every little girl needs a horse when she asks for one. <laughs> or when some creepy older man To be fair, when she got the horse, she was not as... Um... Fucked up. <laughs> no, 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 no. When she got that horse, she was right there on the verge of, I am no longer innocent. This is the crazy crap that's been happening to me, and now I've decided to move on and be fondled in a river. Like, she was right there That's on the precipice. Right. Horse equaled fall into darkness. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe creepy older men shouldn't buy little girls' horses. <laughs> That's the bottom good line. Good rule of thumb. I like that. That's, that should go at the top yes. of the list. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, the next month, hmm, Laura gets a job with Ronette at the perfume counter. Bobby is speaking to her again. (sighs) Screw you, Bobby. Okay, (laughs) they still date about five times a month, you know, but they barely talk to each other at school. Bobby's actually paying a lot more attention to Shelly than to her, 
And Laura stupidly tells this to Leo, but she knows immediately that that was a mistake. She's like, oh my gosh, he felt he got so mad so fast that it really concerned her. And But she does think that Bobby and Shelly are good for each other. And she says, why do we pick up the people we do, avoiding loneliness at all costs? Falling in love is like holding a white flag to your enemies. And she says she can't do that until she knows that Bob is dead. Oh my gosh, so much in this chapter. <laughs> so much. First off, wasn't this the chapter, like the first one where she sounded like happy? Or am I, there's a chapter in all of this where she's super sad, super sad, super upset. And then all of a sudden we get a chapter where she's like, guess what? Things are actually not so horrible. And then it's like quickly, no, they're really horrible. <laughs> I think it's after she tries to quit doing coke cold turkey. That's right. That's right. But it's kind of funny that Leo and Laura are the same person and Bobby and Shelly really are kind of the same person. And it's yeah. so Bobby and Shelly end up getting together and it's just, you know. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Very similar. So she has her introductory meeting at Horns. Mr. Battis has been annoying and hanging around a lot. She finds him unattractive and unhelpful and is tired of having to smile at him. <laughs> Donna comes in to tell Laura how she's leaving to check out colleges. And Laura is happy and not happy to see her. She basically, she wants Donna to like and need her more than she does Mike. But she realizes that that's just selfish. But I guess she just can't help it. <laughs> About a week later, Ronette asks Laura to come in, which is basically code for come to the cabin in the woods. They have like specified codes for specific things. And Laura wants Ronette to send some photos to Flesh World like Laura is. So she gets Jacques to take some Polaroids of them. And she goes, I found a new way to seduce the guys. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. No way. Happy sweet 16. <laughs> so wait, she was 15 that whole last that time. <laughs> yes. Yes. God, that was, we like, that was a long year okay yeah. that was a long year <laughs> very active year for her uh, uh as usual her typical melancholy birthday post <laughs> uh everything feels like a bad very sad dream she had images of what this day would be like her 16th birthday and they do not at all match the reality she had dreams once, hope that anything was possible, and she knows now how valuable a daydream is. She didn't miss it until it was gone. Her and Bobby are on a break. Donna and her are no longer side by side. Events have aged her and made her bitter. She doesn't have a new car. <laughs> she tries to work hard, but she must work harder. And she knows she's an addict, and she forced Bobby to sell drugs. And she's like, I have to quit drugs and sex. It's all become very dark. She wants the control and the strength, but she's like still regretting Troy and it's all terribly sad. And I wrote, Cheryl Lee wrecks me with her reading of this book. So that must've been a particularly heartbreaking entry the way she read it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So later that the same day, oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> later that same day, enough of the past. She's pregnant. Seven and a half dun, weeks dun, pregnant. Dun. No one knows. She hasn't done coke since last night. <laughs> she wishes that her whole life was a dream, but she can't even cry because it's her birthday. Jesus. 
Yeah. So I guess this is a week later. She says, well, I don't know if it's a week, but whatever. This is the beginning of August. She says, it's been a week since Bob has come. She's so numb. She almost wishes he would. And then we have a few, a couple entries with no date whatsoever. The first one is just, she thinks of death as a companion. She longs to meet. Goodbye. That sounds pretty dire. Yeah. Because up to this point, she has flat out been saying she does not want to die. She does not want to welcome things into our life that will lead to her death, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is just like breaking her. So the next one, also no date. I think it starts in Bob's voice. And he's like, little bitch. And she says, why don't you come take my life? And he's like, that would be too easy. And... Uh, she's, you know, still arguing with him to get out of her head in her life or just kill her. And Bob is like, you take all the fun out of it. And he says, sometimes life is about what happens before death. He tells her that she's an experiment and she knows she never had a chance. And he tells her that she's falling into darkness. And he says, nice, isn't it? But she disagrees. She hates herself and everything around her. And she asks if he's real. And he says that he's the only reality there is. And he says, this is the fire she must walk through. And she asks who he is really. And he is what she fears he could be, he says. Okay. (laughs) 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 Terrifying. Bob chapters are like really scary. (laughs) Okay. So August 10th. The abortion. She's like, it was basically over in a few minutes, yet she heard worlds going by. She says, life is spinning on its heels and running away, and it was the hardest thing she's ever been through. And then she kind of tells us about it. Like, the nurse took her hand, and then this is really, I love this part. She says, she wishes that whoever this child is, they will come back to her when the time is right. They should be a gift to those who are ready. Come back, child, when I am no longer a child myself. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, breaks your heart. It's I, it's so interesting that she's so, like, eloquent and so, mm-hmm. I don't know, just, like, a ta- such a talented, like, writer at such a young age. It's like, <laughs> if she had gotten better... It's only like, and she would be, I don't know, it just seems like she's so good at writing for such a, even at like when she was writing when she was 12. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she goes from like this crazy, like uh, stream of consciousness, drug addled stuff to like being really poetic about Mm -hmm. the, like, you know, what this means and what it's like to have a child when you're a child. (laughs) Right. So basically she cries all the way home. And thinks about all of the things that have happened to her. And as of today, she's 19 days sober. And she's meeting with Norma to discuss the idea of helping the elderly. Um, But she is in pain when she gets home. Uh, She talks to Maddie. and Or Maddie calls her. And Laura thinks that Maddie must have heard her calling to her. And she also says she thinks that her mother is jealous of her. Well, she's always said she had that connection with Maddie. Like she's Maddie had dreams about her. Maddie had feelings about her. So, you know, she could have just been like, I feel like Laura needs me right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
that makes sense. I just don't know if why um, her mom being jealous. I don't know if she's being jealous of Maddie or of Laura. But anyway, okay, a week later, 3.15 a.m., she's up writing. Sobriety is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she it feels like she's lost all her friends because she's sober. Bobby doesn't even call. And she wonders if she is the bad influence. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> she also mentions her new friend, Harold Smith. Okay, so a few days later, also early, like 5.20 a.m., it's very dark, but she's very scared of a nightmare she just had. Everyone in the world was taking drugs, but she had stopped. And when she stopped, she became invisible, and no one noticed her, and it all seemed real, and she felt alone. And when she woke, Bob was at her window laughing at her. So that's just, I think, basic. (laughs) <laughs> when she woke up, Bob was at her window laughing at her. Yeah. That's crazy. It's like yeah. the drugs are her only defining characteristic, to her at least. And that yeah. she thinks people think she's boring or something. Yeah. Well, until she wakes up and sees Bob at her window, I would say that seems like a pretty normal kind of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> For someone who's going through what she's going through. <laughs> <laughs> her brain is like, you'll be nobody. Please give me drugs. <laughs> All right, so next, well, I guess that was like 5.20 a.m., so later that day, she's meeting with Mr. Battis in his office at the department store. Uh, She can see that he likes her, and he wants to offer her a better job, a hostess with room to grow, and he wants to know if she can dance. Check. And he's also, yeah, I think he is also recruiting Ronette at this point. Or I don't know if Ronette has already been to One Eye Jacks, but basically he's recruiting them to go to One Eye Jacks. And on the way back to the perfume counter, she decides sobriety is not for her. <laughs> she borrows some coke from Ronette, and soon as she takes it, Bob is there crouched in the corner smiling at her. New game. Is this the next day? A couple days later. <laughs> She's feeling better with cocaine in her life. <laughs> She tells Norma about her ideas for the Meals on Wheels, and she picks up the food at the double R. She prepares the meals. While she's there, Josie Packard comes in. She has been being hassled at the mill for her bad English, and Laura offers to help. So, But first, she delivers some meals to Mrs. Tremont and Harold Smith, who she did mention before, but now she says that he's agoraphobic. And then she goes to see Johnny. Wait, have we met Harold Smith in the seasons yet? No. No. Christian. No. no so Christian no. has no idea. Spoiler alert, Harold shows up in the seasons. And here's <laughs> another fun fact. He the guy who plays him also plays one of the bad guys in Home Alone 3. There's actually <laughs> like four bad guys in that instead of the two, and he's one of them. So you do know who Harold Smith is because he was in that psych episode. He was the sheriff. Oh. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, the end of August, she's rereading her diary and she's embarrassed. She thinks that the girl who started her diary is a stranger. She's like, now I'm a prostitute who fucks her father's employers, <laughs> not to mention half the town. The only difference from last week is that now she gets paid for it. 
because now she's And obviously, she's I don't Jack. see why this is a bad thing. Like, <laughs> if she's going to whore herself out to the town, why not make a little extra money on the side? I think it's... Well, I mean, for one thing, we know One-Eyed Jack's management is not great. No. But um, I think it's just like... It's just a line she crossed that she wasn't planning on crossing, you know? Yeah. It's... Before, it was all about her own pleasure. Mm. In her true. own desires. Yeah, it's right. it's I don't know, it's like some weird thing where it's like the whole anti sex worker mentality because I mean I understand the part where she's like now it's not really for my own pleasure. But before it was like she was fucking people for drugs. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. In a I way, mean, really was, what's the difference? <laughs> it's she was doing the same thing. She's just gonna use this money to buy drugs. So essentially she's Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, does this make her feel worse than anything else she's done? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It all seems to kind of bleed to, into each other now. Yeah. 16. Yeah. Yeah, she had this weird dream about visiting Jacques' cabin but not being able to get inside. And Bob is there and he has Waldo and he like crushes him to death. Mm. And she couldn't run away. And then she looks up and there's a gigantic owl in front of her. And she doesn't know whether the owl is a friend or an enemy. She hopes that what the log lady was talking about, and or she hopes that that's what the log lady was talking about all those years ago, and that now something good will happen. And she vows to pay more attention. And I'm like, oh, gosh, log lady, you are not very helpful. No. <laughs> well, it's like, well, I, if I was Laura, I would have probably gone back to her because they seem Seriously. to have connected in some way. It's just so weird. Yeah. And then there's a PS on this entry that she, to ensure her privacy, she's going to start a second diary to fool anyone looking for her diary. Because, you know, everyone around town knows Laura cannot be separated from her diary. Right. <laughs> and someone's read it before. The other one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, at least, least she thinks, thinks so. someone did. Right. We don't know for sure. But it could have just been her paranoia getting the best of her. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So then three months pass and we don't hear anything that's now november she makes an entry she met one of johnny's doctors lawrence jacoby thank god a psychiatrist (laughs) (laughs) the one and Uh, only one for this tiny teensy tiny tiny little small town he's like (laughs) i'm also the town clown so you know he's got more than one job She says she can sense his attraction, but he's actually attracted to the fact that there's two Lauras. You know, like psychologically, he's attracted to her craziness. (laughs) But he doesn't mock her pain, but he just accepts it. And he recognizes that the lighter part of her never wanted to do it, and he forgives her. And she almost hates him for never confirming her deepest fears that she's becoming like Bob. Bad. And she's forgotten how to be loved so i'm like yay jacoby i wish you would go like five times a week (laughs) 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 so then we skip to january of 89 she says she hasn't been writing because she got a tape recorder from dr jacoby and started talking into it and it kind of makes her feel like her problems are not her own plus she's been so busy updating her fake diary (laughs) And it made me think of that um, uh, time, you know, in the first season where he puts on the headphones and he's listening to Laura talk and 
Um, she's yeah. talking about James and how like she's so sick of good, you know. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. That. Yeah, and this is also like where she just doesn't. She just stops doing as many entries in the diary. Like a lot more time passes. They're much shorter. So we skip to March. She promised to spend some time with Harold and finally did. And she really likes the way he like hangs on her every word. But every time she tries to make advances towards him, he reacts with fear. And she actually finds that arousing to see his frightened face. And she's like, oh, now I'm acting like Bob. And now she hates herself some more. (laughs) But she also thinks that Bob notices that she's acting more like him. And she's like, I can't hurt or be hurt enough lately. You know, it's just like, it's a I cycle. hurt and I'm hurting people and I just can't stop. So then three more months pass by. We're now to June. She's been working on English with Josie, who shows very little signs of improvement. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josie was a dancer and prostitute back in the day when Andrew saved her and brought her here, Andrew Packard. And Laura says that Josie basically treats their sessions like poorly executed seductions. (laughs) And she's like, this girl may have been a dancer back in Japan or wherever she's from, but she ain't got nothing on me. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody has anything on Laura. (laughs) The more she comes on to Laura, the less she respects her. And Josie is actually like jealous of Bobby. But Laura believes that Josie's a lot darker than the town thinks. And then she writes a PS. It makes her sick how every time she tries to do something good, she ends up getting fucked. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Seriously. Okay. So two months later, we're now in August. This is past her 17th birthday. We didn't even get a birthday entry this year. She's talking about the Meals on Wheels. Norma took care of most of the deliveries, but leaves one for Laura. So I'm wondering how much is Laura really doing in the Meals on Wheels at this point? Like she set it up, but it seems like Norma is really doing a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. But every so often, Laura gets this weird thrill about how much access she has to other people's homes because she has all the keys for the people in Meals on Wheels. And she goes to Mr. Pendergast, who is like the most trusting and kind of all of the elderly she visits. And she finds him behind the bedroom door and he had died and Laura's very sad because he was like he he wasn't very mobile so he was like trying to get somewhere and so he died with like this expression of struggle on his face and she sits with him for like an hour before calling the ambulance and it actually gives her hope that there's no wars after death and she believes she's merely living her life in order to die I know. (laughs) So then we get two months that pass. This is one of my favorite moments. Okay, we're at One-Eyed Jacks. (laughs) Last night, she went to the office to use the bathroom when she saw Blackie on the bed shooting herself up with heroin. And Laura asks her for her money because she didn't get paid last night. And Blackie tells her to grow up. And they have a confrontation that ends in Blackie slapping her. And when she does, Laura smiles like Bob and thinks that she's going to teach her a lesson. (laughs) And Laura takes total control of the situation. She leaves Blackie on the floor, naked with only her jewelry on, humiliated. (laughs) She says she took her to a very dark, erotic place 
And um, as she left, Blackie threatened to fire her. And Laura's like, I know it's my last night here. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) her PS is, I'm going to have to tell the world about Benjamin. So I just love that. I love picturing Laura taking down Blackie because I don't know if we've seen the full extent of Blackie's bitchiness or whatever you want to call her but i don't know she's She's never seemed like that much of a threat because she's always so high on heroin and even laura's like i don't do that drug (laughs) like i'll do literally everything but heroin mm -mm. i feel like if laura did heroin i mean bob would be right there there'd be no stopping him right exactly i mean not that i've done heroin but it seems like a step up. <laughs> like a like not just a step, but but like a, oh. go to the top of the mountain. Right. Yeah. Jump right like, up to the top. Forget about sleep deprivation. Serious. <laughs> okay, so this one is actually only a few days later, um, middle of uh, uh, October. She told Josie that she couldn't come until 10 p.m. And Laura basically takes advantage of the fact that Josie wants her so badly and seduces her, I guess, or gets seduced by her. But she's like, yet I still have to instruct her on how to please me. (laughs) So, um, And she's like, and this left her respecting yet, uh, not uh, not respecting yet another person in town. (laughs) Oh, and P.S. On the way home, she had a vision of the girl with the cat telling Laura that Bob had been visiting her and that Laura had sent him. And when she came to, she remembered that Bob hadn't come to her in over a week. And she's like, I really hope that's just a vision and not a premonition. Oh, God. Now you're just carrying all this guilt that you don't even know if you need to carry. Right. Okay. So then we have Halloween. She says, Halloween, no mask necessary. Nancy, Blackie's sister, brought her her clothes and money and asked to speak to her outside because... Dot, dot, dot. That's all we get of that. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I don't even know where to speculate with that. I don't either. Okay. I'm guessing something that happens in season two. <laughs> Maybe we'll find something that can fit into that dot, dot, dot. Keep your eye on Nancy. <sighs> the last two entries are undated. First one, chapter 84. She spent the afternoon with Dr. Jacoby. He wanted to hear more about James Hurley. Um, this is the first we've heard of James Hurley, by the way. <laughs> the one and only she time. She says that he's someone she's known for a long time, that she fell in love with his purity and hopes that he will take her out of the darkness if she was strong enough. And she feels like he's her last chance. But she's been keeping him a secret. She had, oh, and she talks about her homecoming photo and how she had a secret behind the smile which was basically I slept with everyone in this town (laughs) (laughs) she felt the world was mocking her for making her homecoming queen everything seems far away and muted she tells Dr. Jacoby about her nightmares lately and they're like just full of death and lust and the worst one was about water she was at the water's edge And the sky was dark, but on the surface of the water, the sky was blue. She thought if she dove in, she would come out on a lighter world. And then, so she dives in, and then she feels a hand pull her under, 
and she thought it was Bob's hand. And the last time she was with Leo and Jacques, she started to feel like she was going to pass out. Okay, so this is, uh, she has, this is, she's starting to ramble again. But she says that the last time she was with Leo and Jacques, she started to feel like she was going to pass out. Something wasn't right. But the others just all thought that it was part of the game that they were playing. And Leo, I think, hits her. But then afterwards realizes that she's actually not okay. And so they untie her. And then she runs away. She lies about the bruise to her parents. She told Jacoby that she misses Donna. And she also tells him that she forced Harold to have sex with her. I feel like that, by the way, is like a yin and yang with Josie. Like with Josie, Josie wanted her and she didn't really want Josie, but she seduced her and like had no respect for her. And with Harold, he didn't want to do it and she forced him to do it. You know, it was like the like, you know, it's like the both are horrible things to do to somebody, but they're completely different spectrums of like the same power that she has over people. Yeah, she just it's like she just doesn't have any control over herself or anything in her life. Okay, when she left Mrs. Tremont's, her grandson came up to her and pulled a gold coin out of the air. Because um, he's <laughs> creepy, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> or we will. Um, <laughs> she can feel Bob getting closer. She just wants everything to be normal. She's talking, but at least she's talking about all this with somebody, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. She has so uh, finally some therapy. Yeah, she's got this fantasy about taking the drug money and running away forever, but she doesn't think she deserves that. (laughs) And final entry, undated. She says, I know who he is. I know exactly who and what he is. She has to tell everyone and make them believe her. Someone has stolen the pages from her diary. She's afraid no one will believe her until she's dead. She says, don't hate me. I never meant to see him or let him in. She did not want what she has become. She only did what anyone can do her very best. P.S. She's giving the diary to Harold for safekeeping. She can't stay normal. She has to be numb. And then it says, that was the last entry. She was found dead just days later. That makes me want to cry. (laughs) I know. I know. It's terrible. Oh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking novel. (sighs) With like, poor Laura. It's just because it's so, she paints such a vividly real picture of every detail of this horribleness. That's just why it's so heartbreaking. And it's so, like, it feels so much more real when you're listening to the Mm -hmm. audiobook version. I wonder if I had read this book, like say I read it when I was 13 when it came out or 12, I guess, (laughs) would I have been like, I don't know, would I have like been able to like skim it in that way that you can kind of disassociate from a book that's too much for you, you know, Mm -hmm. and like not take it all in. I read American Psycho a long time ago and it's just one of those books that's like, I mean, it's nothing like this book, but it's got a lot of really graphic and horrible imagery but it also has lists and lists of nothing like just bullshit and I'm like is this book trying to make me like is it trying to make me as a reader read it in such a way that like I'm not getting fully drawn into it Mm -hmm. where I don't know if like reading this 
without listening to it if I would get kind of that same feeling because it's so addled and crazy like would my brain just automatically kind of like skim over parts of it (laughs) at that age at 12 I'm not gonna let my daughter get I don't care how mature she is like (laughs) no I'm sorry we're not gonna have those images placed to your head no (laughs) I feel like as a teenager you probably in some way would connect with Laura just on the melodrama of it all I but mm-hmm. I don't think you understand the true impact of like what's happening and like just the severity of it until like you are more of an adult cuz I feel like as a teenager I would not have really underst- fully understood like all of these things happening to Laura yeah I'm really curious like an adult at that time period when the show first came mm-hmm. out and this book came out if they read it cuz I'm sure they're reading it, trying to figure out who the killer is. And this book is like so much different than the show we just watched, right. you know? Like it's like a whole different thing altogether. And it, again, it does not really give any clues from what I can tell of who the killer is. I mean, maybe a little bit if you already know, but like, <laughs> yeah, I just wonder what what would you think if you're just like, some 22-year-old dude in 1991 who just wants to know who the killer is in this cool, quirky show that you love, right. and then you're reading, like, this 12- to 17-year-old's horrific diary. <laughs> but, like, would you even think, oh, this is horrific because this is 1991, you know? Like, are people going to be titillated by this in some way? Or, like, I just don't know. I really... I can't really put myself in that position. <laughs> Me either. It appeals to many different groups of people. People who like true crime. People who like romantic um, fantasy. Uh, people who just want to like, you know, know what's on the inner psyche of a person. You know? It's oh, yeah. Definitely can well, cross many genres. I agree. I think it it definitely could appeal to a lot of people. I'm just trying to think like when it came out, like as an extension of... Twin Peaks. It was like what number four or something on the New York Times bestseller list at the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure people yeah. bought it initially thinking we're gonna get clues. We're gonna know more than anyone else going into season two. We're gonna have like a better understanding of what you know moving forward. And in a lot of ways, you probably did. Maybe people who read this book first before they saw the season two felt completely different about some characters, like. Why did they keep trying to make it Leo? It obviously isn't Leo, not after what we know about him, you know, or, you know, it's obviously not Bobby. He clearly loved her in a different way, you know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, but then again, you can think, well, for the whole last year of her life, we barely heard any of what was really going on. So who knows? Like, maybe Bobby and her relationship changed. Maybe Leo and her relationship changed. So it's very true. Well, let's move on to the deep dive. <laughs> this will be quick. I also did mine on Cheryl Lee. Also, another interview from the book, <laughs> Laura's Ghost by Courtney Stallings. Cheryl Lee says that, especially before Firewalk with me, she 
she had a, her own copy of this book and she referred to it a lot. She had it circled and underlined and constantly referred to it in her performance. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just fits so well with that movie. So she says she, she had already written her own backstory for Laura, but the crazy thing was how many similarities there were to the book. She didn't really even know that Jennifer was writing it until it was done. But she says that she really appreciated Jennifer's work so much. And when she recorded the book, she, you know, she couldn't say anything about it until it was announced. But everyone kept asking, when are you going to record that? When are you going to record that? And she said, I don't know, maybe someday. (laughs) But then she got around to recording it. She hadn't read it for 25 years at that point. So to go back. So it was fairly recently that she did that. Um, So to go back and read it made her really appreciate it. Her voice is exactly the same, by the way. Like, exactly (laughs) the same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it made her appreciate it even more and just in terms of the writing and the skill and knowing how young Jennifer Lynch was when she wrote it. And she's like, it really blew her away. The details and where she was able to go with that. It's phenomenal writing. It's so emotionally devastating and such a solid piece. And when she was recording it, her and the director made some choices that allowed her to be like in a younger state emotionally, which I think goes along with how it was written, and then to deepen through it. And there's an innocence there, and there's also grit. Mm-hmm. And she was like, they were just really long days of recording. She was there by herself with these headphones. And she's like, it was just me inside Laura for this concentrated amount of time. And I discovered a lot because now I'm 30 years older. Yeah. And certain things hit me harder or were more emotionally painful. And um, she said she was just, again, in awe of Jennifer's brilliance and the fact that she could create that when she was so young. Plus, I think that Cheryl Lee has a daughter now. So <laughs> I'm sure that also adds a whole new perspective to it. <laughs> yeah. I saw um, something today about her. It looked like maybe like an interview about her. I didn't re- like watch it, but about Fire Walk With Me and how she's like looking back at it now as a mother it's just heartbreaking even more so and just something it just hit her harder yeah i can definitely imagine that well do we have any final thoughts on fire walk with me nope secret diary (laughs) of laura palmer is what we're we're going under Oh my god, I think I'm um, having emotional overload from (laughs) all this. Okay, yeah. Do we have any final thoughts on The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer? (sighs) You know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's it's quite a journey to go on with her. And although I do feel like I know her better even now, you know, there's still so much. I mean... I've seen every season. I've I've now listened to the companion. I've watched Fire Walk with me. I like I still am like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's an enigma yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. There's just so much. And that's the whole point, I feel like with everything, David Lynch, is there's so many open, you know, things that you can put your own thoughts in there and you can have your own journey, you know? Yeah. Create your own I story. Love that about him. Mm-hmm. But he never gives you answers. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I just, I, I think after reading it, I almost feel like I wish Jennifer Lynch had written more books because it's written so well. It's just, it's like so poetic and just so heartbreakingly beautiful in a way. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed just her her work. It, it does come off as like a genius, especially when you find out how young she was when she wrote it. Yeah. But I just, I, I really appreciate the book. Um, it just adds so much more complexity to this already complex world of Twin Peaks. And it just makes me want to know more about Laura, even though we get <laughs> a lot from her. It's like, I just want more. Yeah. All yeah. the time. That's All honestly, the time. I just wish that with like season three had either been just a whole entire encapsulation more about Laura. Or, you know, all about Dale. That's, I mean, right. that's not what everybody wants. They just want, <laughs> I mean, they want to know more about Dale. <laughs> they want to know more about Laura. Which and... I, that whole thing about like us wanting to know more I about I want to know Laura. more about Nadine. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The whole thing of like us wanting to know more about Laura is, I feel like that's based on this book. That's what she would want is she wants to kind of yeah. remain this mysterious figure who people want to <laughs> just know more about and that she's kind of feeding off of that yeah i think you know twin peaks the name twin peaks is symbolic in of itself because Mm -hmm. twin peaks is like two stories yeah (laughs) and we get different texts that cover different parts of the story we got you know the main show twin peaks which covers a lot of the quirkiness, the people of the town, the surface level. I mean, we get some of the deep stuff, but like this book, Fire Walk With Me, they're like more about the interiority Mm -hmm. and about like what's inside and the darkness and where it comes from. And I mean, season three is like its own thing, but (laughs) I just think it's really interesting to be able to have so many texts that all are a part of the same universe that are all so distinct and yet all fit together even though there's no like real continuity or anything like that like I don't think I think David Lynch would laugh at the term continuity when it Mm -hmm. comes to his work because that's not at all what it's about it's like every piece kind of stands on on its own but they all fit in with the whole and this one just goes I mean for one thing a book is more intimate I mean you're already talking and it's a diary on top of that so it's like just one person's perspective, one very important person. And <laughs> it's sad, but it's also, I don't know. <laughs> I mean. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> on one sad, hand, it's... you totally know. And on the other hand, you don't know. You just don't know. It's dark, but I didn't feel like, I mean, sure, I because I read it so quickly and had to do so much in it that I got so like sucked into it it was like okay this is too much Laura but you know I didn't really feel like overwhelmed by the book you know like I've read depressing texts that will just leave me a puddle of tears for like (laughs) an entire day but I didn't feel like that reading this you know I don't know there's something empowering about it even though it's like she's so powerless in her own way but like Mm -hmm. maybe just because she's constantly trying to con take control of her life and that is empowering just to see someone trying to do that 
I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else, what to say about it. It's just, I, I really enjoyed it, but, and I'm glad I finally got to read it. You know, Laura, Laura, I feel like I know her. I feel like she's a real person, but she's, I got to always remember, you know, this is still a book. This is right. a character. <laughs> she's not a real person. I'm sure there are people who have gone through similar experiences to Laura, but there's probably no one who feels like, oh yeah, I'm Laura Palmer. You know? <laughs> I hope not. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like so, and I feel like, yeah. I was just say, I I feel like uh, this book makes you feel like you should be with Donna and James trying to figure out who killed your friend. Like that's how it kind of makes you feel. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely gives you a new perspective on Donna too, because she's like, Laura, my best friend, but like you weren't friends, right? (laughs) Ronette's her best friend, if anyone in this book is, right? Um, (laughs) When she dies, at least, right. Yeah, it definitely makes me feel different about characters. Leo, I never liked Leo. I Now I'm, after reading this book, I'm like, it's not that I like Leo now, but I feel like because Laura had such a, you know, good-ish relationship with him mm-hmm. that, like, I feel more for him. Like, I don't feel as much like, oh, you're just bad right. <laughs> all the time, bad. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> maybe there is some goodness in his darkness. Right. Which I guess is kind of the point, you know? He is like... I- safe darkness yeah it's like nobody in twin peaks is all dark or all good i mean i guess bob is the personification of evil but even he can be kind of like well you don't seem that evil i mean maybe not in this book but like you know he just i don't know again i'm just saying i don't know a lot (laughs) i think that's how we're all supposed to feel Mm -hmm. i don't know (laughs) yeah but I'm glad to have gone on this ride with Laura and I love Shirley. And I think it's just a really, it's really cool. I can't believe that this book came out in the nineties. It had to do with a TV show and it's so, you know, emotionally rich <laughs> and well done. And it just, it just feels so not of the time. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Just doesn't yeah. feel like something that would come out of that time. Way ahead of its but, time. Well, I mean, the entire series is way ahead of its time, you know? That's definitely true. Yeah. Yep. (sighs) All right. Well, let's move on to recommendations then. Okay. My my recommendation is again for (laughs) Disney Plus, except this time it's for something a little different. I love, 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 and looked forward to every episode that came out. The first season of the Animal Kingdom behind the scenes show where they go behind the scenes at Animal Kingdom and Josh Gad is the narrator and he's just so sweet and everything is so lovely and it just makes me (laughs) love Disney so much. And I love documentaries, especially about animals and I love Disney and I love Disney World and I love Animal Kingdom. So it's like the perfect... (laughs) Perfect show for me. And if you haven't checked it out and you just want a good, lighthearted documentary, feel good, <laughs> definitely check it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Get a little um, uh, relief from Secret <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the complete opposite. Watch some Disney <laughs> yes. It's very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, do you want to go next, Christian? Sure. Um, my recommendation this week is going to be a Netflix series, Dairy Girls. 
I ah. just finished uh, the second season, which is the most recent that they released. And it's just, I don't know how to describe it correctly. It's just so purely a teen experience from like the 90s um, of these like four Irish girls and this one British guy who's like a cousin of one of the Irish girls. And it's just so <laughs> lighthearted, so funny. And just so, it's somehow of the 90s and also of the current era. It's just so perfectly balanced and everyone is so good in it. It's definitely full of those actors who they're playing like 15, 16 year olds and you're like, oh wait, they're actually like in their 30s. But right. <laughs> they do such a great job. And One of the girls in that is in Bridgerton. Yes, and she's she's really good. She's so funny. <laughs> it's just it's just so well done and I really really enjoyed it. It's such a lighthearted show and nothing really too serious <laughs> happens. Everyone's really funny on it, so I would really recommend it for anyone who wants something really funny and just fun. Cool. That's one that I've wanted to watch for a while. I just haven't gotten around to it because of like my television thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would also recommend to wear uh not wear. Uh turn on subtitles because Irish accents are <laughs> really hard to understand <laughs> see i always struggle through and then i just keep rewinding i'm like say it again say it again and i'm like okay fine i'll put on subtitles yes, i just do it from the beginning because their accents are so thick <sighs> okay well um i'll definitely check that one out mm -hmm. uh, my recommendation for this week is i've been watching a lot of i might have already said i've been watching a lot of space documentaries and stuff i don't know why i've just been really into them i think because you know right now everybody is like really annoying <laughs> like in the whole world <laughs> and whenever i start to feel like oh i hate everyone then uh, if i watch like a universe documentary then i start to feel like wow first of all the universe is full of crazy terrifying huge giant forces that are just crazy and so cool that that's like these huge destructive forces are what leads to us existing mm -hmm. at all <laughs> but i think it always restores my faith in humanity because every time i go wow you know what's really amazing is that people can even ask these questions and have actually been able to figure out some answers to how the universe works and mm -hmm. how all this stuff works and it's like it's mind-blowing to me that people are, you know, capable of that and it restores my faith in humanity. But so I've been watching <laughs> How the Universe Works. It's from the Science Channel. There's different seasons on different streaming platforms. I've just been kind of like buying the seasons that I can't find on streaming platforms and watching it through. I think they are still making it because the latest season was from 2020. But it's really cool. I mean, it just makes me so, it makes you feel insignificant and yet like it's amazing that all of these elements can come together for you to exist at all. So, you know, I just find it fascinating. And so that's going to be my <laughs> recommendation for this week. That sounds so cool. Aww, I love a I like good it. space documentary or some space, <laughs> I don't know, just like informational yeah. show. All, I feel like I know nothing about it. So I'm always learning something. Honestly, exactly. you can watch any of those space documentaries because it's always the same people being <laughs> <laughs> interviewed. There's like six experts and they're on everything. 
Yeah, but they're always cool. <laughs> I'm like, I can watch 50 Black Hole episodes. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, okay, and then uh, finally, if you would like to get in contact with us, we would love to hear your thoughts on The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. You know, we are just three people, and I'm sure there is about a bajillion different opinions that could be had mm-hmm. about this book, and so we'd love to hear your thoughts on them. Yes, and if you would like to get in contact <laughs> with us. <laughs> you can email us at mannersofmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness. Or on Instagram at Manners of Madness Pod. Or you can leave a one minute long voicemail on our website at mannersofmadness.com. Yes. One minute. <laughs> <laughs> and um, please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. It's what helps other people discover our podcast. And. Yes, that's all for this week. Uh, next week, we are coming back with the second half of Sanditon. Uh. So hold on to your bonnets. <laughs> <laughs> Returning to the light, finally. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll have a different perspective on some of the characters in Sanditon after <laughs> reading this book. <laughs> we might think Sydney is probably the best thing that's ever happened at this point. So. <laughs> Yeah, he's so much better than Bob. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but also, thank you, Chelsea, for doing this entire depressing novel with us. Oh, thank you're you so more much. than welcome. I love it. It was great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it was fun to have another person. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have you back when we do Firewalk with me. Oh, and next, actually, before next week even comes out on Thursday of this week, the plan is to have a bonus episode come out in which me and Chelsea are going to just sit down and talk how this show fits in with the rest of the Twin Peaks series. You know, for those of you who have already seen the whole thing, we just want to put it into context with the rest and maybe talk a little bit about Bridgerton because Christian still hasn't seen that. (laughs) I will one day. I promise. So good. (laughs) Me and Christian will definitely talk about it when he watches it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Maybe maybe I'll do that as my new current show that I watch in my break. Definitely oh, do it. You should. <laughs> it's a good binge. <laughs> <laughs> I need to rewatch it already. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chelsea. You're welcome. You're I love you. Oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you guys on Thursday or next week. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Good night. <laughs>